You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 56 of the Comic Book Informer. We are coming to you on Wednesday, December 7th. A great comic book day. Lots of awesome stuff coming out, but we're going to get to that later. Uh, how's it going, Raj? It's going all right. Uh, well, it's kind of going all well, right. Well, yeah, we until we get into the heated debates. <laughs> Actually, I don't think but, we'll be debating yeah, about there's anything. There's no debate involved. <laughs> we're, we're debating with a, a, a fictional person sitting across from us. <laughs> And uh, we also have our uh, winner to announce this week, right? Yes, we do. Are we doing right, that so now we're gonna, or are we doing that no, later? We're going to get to that at the end because we're going to make everybody listen to us. Awesome. All right. We have some news to discuss this week. Uh, last week, I think it was Wednesday, Dark Horse Comics announced the opening – not opening. They've had their digital store running for a while now. But they've announced that they're going to join all the other major publishers with their day-and-date digital releases for – Almost everything. There's a few properties they have the rights to publish, but they don't have the digital rights for it. But that's that's no big deal. The thing that separates Dark Horse from Marvel and DC and the other guys is they took the time and they made the investment to set up their own digital store. Even the Marvel and DC apps, they still run through the Comixology network. So any comics you buy through Marvel, DC, whatever, Comixology gets a cut of that profits. Dark Horse has cut out the middleman, which allows them to offer a lot of their digital comics at a lesser price than their competitors. So as it was announced, their day and date releases were going to be about a buck ninety nine per issue, which was freaking awesome. I was like, man, I'm going to start reading more Dark Horse books. I'm going to start catching up on some Hellboy, uh, BPRD, the Mass Effect stuff coming out, Star Wars. I was really going to support this. Oh, hell Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the retailers were not. And it, there's a very, very vocal minority of retailers on Twitter that I follow more for comedic purposes <laughs> than any sort of information. <laughs> they were ranting and raving all weekend long, threatening to pull all the Dark Horse books off their shelves, which is a terrible idea for so many reasons. <laughs> And so on Monday, Dark Horse released another press release claiming a miscommunication. I'm not sure how true that is. And that all of their digital comics on day of release are going to be $2.99 and then down to $1.99 a month after that. So they're falling in line with everybody else of charging full price for not the full product. And uh, this makes me so, so upset that a, the retailers are being so stupid about this because it's two different markets, and B, that Dark Horse caved. And I'm going to hand it off to you before I start ranting and cursing for a half hour. Well, see, the thing is, is that we, we've talked about this before, too, and, I mean, we're of the same opinion, too, that times have changed if they want to, if the comic book industry wants to survive, wants to do better, they need to adapt to that. The book industry had to do it. The music industry had to do it. They're going to have to do it also. They're not a special freaking snowflake and they have to stop pretending like they are. And so when something like this comes along and you read other articles like the one you sent me, which I'm assuming you're going to be bringing up afterwards as well, where they talk about where you get a little bit of the, the, the inside baseball there where you're finding out that it was that point blank threatening from some of the retailers and whatnot 
that is so discouraging because especially when you're reading from different creator owned guys, um, different writers, different artists and all that, that are talking about how much they're having to bleed out because of this and how much they're losing annually of their own income and how they love the retailers. They want to work with them, but they're trying to think of other ways to do things as well. They're going out of their way for the retailers. Meanwhile, the retailers are freaking threatening them to pull all of their products. And I'm thinking that's the appreciation you're showing. Guess what retailers? You're not the only ones hurting the actual people put Putting these out are also hurting. So stop being so goddamn selfish. Do what you need to do to change your own business so that it can also be successful. You can't, you can't, in any business, you can't believe that how you started X amount of years ago is how the business is always going to be. It can't change. I don't have to adapt. Everybody else has to adapt for me to suit my needs. No. Screw it. Adapt, change how you do business so that you can be more productive and still maintain your money. But expect that you too are going to have to bleed out. Yeah. And I feel maybe in some previous episodes, I came across a little too harshly in many of my criticisms of retailers. And I, I do want to say I am not anti-retailer, but oh, no. I am I am pro-digital. And you can be pro-digital without being anti-retailer. And what... You, you mentioned you said it perfectly with the stuff with the music industry, how that was the one thing that a lot of these retailers were were voicing over the weekend is like, oh, look what the music industry going digital did for all the retailers. Like, OK, it did hurt a lot of retailers, but it saved the industry. The music industry was hemorrhaging money before iTunes came around. It's fact. There's documentaries about it, about how. These recording studios were almost having to shut their doors before iTunes came in and it opened up this whole new market for them. Yes, some retailers had to suffer, but the alternative was no more music. <laughs> so if the alternative is no more comics, I, I, that seems like a pretty simple decision to me. Well, the thing, too, is, again, looking at this article here at the very bottom where it's talking about – what's his name? Uh, Which article are you talking about? The one that you just sent me. Uh, Brian Wood? Yes, I think that is. Who said he, he's making a plan to get out mm -hmm. of the industry because he can't continue to survive on this dwindling pay rate that he's getting yearly. So it's all well and good for retailers to say, hell no, and we're not ordering any of your stuff. Well, guess what? If it keeps up like this, you're not going to have a choice. It won't be there. I, I don't understand what they were thinking with, oh, I'm going to pull the comics off my shelf because that means you're not going to earn the money from the comics. And if, you know, if you're not being profitable off the comics, why are you ordering them in the first place? Your customers are going to come in looking for some of their favorite comics and they're not going to be there. <laughs> you're going to lose customers. And through pulling these comics off your shelves, you know, threatening to at least, that's actually encouraging people to go digital, which is, you know, they're they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. That's the perfect, you know, analogy here. And yeah, the, this article on Comics Alliance that I'm going to have in the show notes uh, from Brian Wood, who's a writer for Dark Horse. He was really happy about this because he understands that this is Dark Horse getting a new audience, not selling the digital comics to the existing audience. People who want to buy the actual books buy the actual books. Personally, I, I prefer a combination of the two, or I would prefer if it was financially feasible. So he, he, he's, yeah, like you said, he's talking about how his, a lot of these 
artists and writers, their incomes have reduced 40 to 50 percent over the past couple of years just because of the dwindling marketplace and that they would love for the, some company, any company at this point, to at least try a different price point. If it doesn't work, then they know. But that's the main problem that, that he has here is that nobody thus far has tried at a non-cover price point. So it, and they're just like, if if this fails, if something goes wrong, and they're like, oh, there's, this is going to be their way of saying digital doesn't work. And it's not that digital doesn't work. It's that digital might not work at this price. And until somebody steps up with a $1.99 or lower of a release price, we're not going to know for sure. See, the thing that right now I feel the comic book industry needs is a new company that starts up with this exact thing in mind. You know what? If and and again, just like you said too, I like retailers, okay? The guy that I go to, he's great. And and there's a couple of other shops too. They're fantastic. That does not change the fact, however, that times are different now. The being able to walk into a shop and, you know, pick up all your comic books and all that, it's not for everybody. And on top of that, it's not for everybody also because of a variety of situations. It's not always just because, oh, I prefer reading it on my iPad or whatever. I, I made a point of saying this to, uh, who was it that made the comment about the digital don't buy kick-ass? Uh, that was... Um, oh, Mark Millar. Mark Millar, I, yeah. I've, I've got to throw that in there. We're yeah. Gonna come back to him. Don't buy digital. And I shot right back at him on Twitter say thank you very much for supporting people like myself that it's not as easy for me to get out because of health problems me it's with my knees it's painful for me to walk out and go to the comic book store so the digital for me is a fantastic thing where on day one I can have all of the comic books and read them on my iPad and I like that keeps me in the loop I'm still supporting the business and yet I get what I want, they're getting their cut, and there you go. But no, no, that's not good enough. So again, times have changed. It Just because some people will like to buy digital does not mean it's going to take away from everybody who likes the comics. Because truth be told, like yourself, I like them both too. I like having a shelf full of comic books. I like the physical look of them and everything. Hell, I like framing them and putting them on my wall, the nice ones. <laughs> i got six of them right now. So I like them both, but it's... We need a company that is saying, fine, you know what, retailers, you want to be douchebags about this? Guess what? We're going to start up and it's going to be simply digital. Try it. Put it out at a low price point at a buck per issue and have sales under a buck and put it out for the iPad and all of these other digital devices so that people can get them from there and then see how successful it can be. It might take a little while to catch on, but I think that if it does have uh, the time required to build up that audience and to build up IPs, strong comic IPs that people can get behind and enjoy, strong writers and everything so that they can eventually be making a good wage from this in addition to whatever else they do for other you know, be it Marvel, Dark Horse, or, or DC. I think that's what we need. And I think that's going to be the slap in the face that everybody in the industry needs to see that this is where it has to go to thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Mark Millar, I think it was like an advertisement he actually took out in a magazine or whatever. Huge page in, you know, his kick-ass black and white font of don't buy digital, buy comics. And this, you know, this was a huge thing. And I was like, okay. I promise you, Mr. Mark Millar, I will not buy your comics digitally. But you know what? 
I'm going to go one step farther. I'm going to help you out and I'm not going to buy your comics at all because especially Kick-Ass is freaking awful anyway. You shouldn't be buying it no matter what format. Oh, I agree. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's depressing and I don't want to continue going on about it because I, I was really excited and had the rug pulled out from under me. Again, I, I'm hoping that people who listen are actually planning, try to make it work, work with different artists and writers who are willing to start on the ground floor kind of thing and try starting up a company. I mean, Image did it. Image wasn't always around. It started and they went from there. Well, now we need a company that's willing to do the same thing, but digitally. Let's see if we can make it work. Somebody out there has got to have the capital to start up something like this and make it work. Someone mm -hmm. smarter than me is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> By default, that means you do. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move away and still not talking about comic books because uh, last week they wrapped up the first half of Walking Dead season two. They're doing the whole, the whole split up thing that a lot of the cable channels are doing these days. And I think it's coming back in February. I yeah. don't know, somewhere around there. Yeah. But uh, we got, what was it, seven, eight episodes of the first season through or the second season through. And I don't know about you, but while I enjoyed it, I was the every single episode. I was like, I can see what they had to do because of all the budget cuts we've talked about previously. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it was, uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that it was to a point. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you you don't have to convince me. Um, but again, I was trying to look at it in whatever positive way I could because <laughs> it's already not what I wished it were. So that being said, then I'm just kind of okay. Well, then let's just work with what we got, and the um. The uh, the second season was far more about the team and things like that. And so there was a lot less huge production scenes where you see, you know, tons of, of zombies and, and things like that. And I don't want to say it necessarily worked, but at least you could see how the writers and the directors were really trying to work hard at the, f from a thriller, you know, mysterious mm -hmm. kind of standpoint keep the Still tension putting going tension, yeah. without actually having the splash of those special effects again being that i could see that they were trying to make that work then it was like okay well it, it's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination but it's it could be a hell of a lot worse. And the, and the characters were still good to a certain degree. Again, they, they relied far too heavily on, on stereotypes, same as they did in the first one kind of thing. But we did start to see some emergence of, you know, some, some strong characters that weren't characters from the, the comic book series kind of thing. So I, I'm, I put it to you this way. I'm actually looking forward to February for when it starts again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, we, we had way too many episodes of them stomping through the forest yelling Sophia's name, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that we, was uh, yeah, that was ridiculous. That, we you, also <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a story arc that lasted way too long. I I understand uh, why. I understand that they needed a story arc that could again be cheap to film and that could keep them in that one location so that they don't have to keep worrying about locations and things like that. So there's a lot of reasons for it. And then to build up to that that ending, which, I mean, every if you didn't see it coming, then, you know, I don't know. I, I saw it coming. Um, so it was one of those, okay, I can, I can see why, but I think that there should have been someone who said, no, it's not strong enough to continue. We're going to need to do more. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I guess at this point, you should probably throw out a spoiler warning because uh, we do have to discuss a few things. And if you haven't seen it yet, deal with it. <laughs> spoiler alert, people, spoilers. Because there, there were a few things in the season that I do want to talk about. And actually, the things that I enjoyed most in this season were the stuff that wasn't in the comics at all. Uh, the first one is, of course, this, the, the scene with Shane and the, the well, the Shane episode, if, if you will, the whole thing, because uh, when they got to Herschel's farm in the comics, Shane's already dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's <Long> gone. Dead. <laughs> and I, I still hope that they're leading towards that point, because that is a very stunning scene. Um, but the stuff with him and Otis. Uh, yeah. At points, it was maybe a bit overdone, but. It was pretty shocking, and I, I did love the scene with Shane in the bathroom when he's just kind of – that twist. Like you, you can see something breaking inside him when he's looking in the mirror. I, I liked that episode. See, I was trying to decide if I could let myself like it <laughs> just because I, I, I'm still – I'm still not happy with what they're doing with that character. And I'm still seeing him just as the a stereotype of a character, that type of character that they're using here instead of maybe being a little bit more original and, and doing something else. So that said, though, he's doing a decent job at being that, that kind of guy. Yeah. So he's fitting in. Plus, he's fitting in, he's fitting in very, very well um, with Dale. That's something that we didn't have in the comic book. I mean, to a certain degree, like you, there was at that very beginning where he saw him aiming at uh, at Rick. You kind of had that in the comic book, but nothing to this degree where you're having the standoffs between Dale and, and, and Shane. So those are coming off interesting. And and then he's playing that, that loose cannon that the group obviously needs for that type of group of makeup. So, I mean... It's it's not that I, I I'm disliking it so much as I I wish it were done still a little differently and not relying so heavily on you know just cliched crap that we've seen so many times before in other shows. Yeah, I I can buy that. Um, secondly, was where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I edit that out. God, the Daryl episode. How great was the Daryl episode? The one where he was having the hallucinations. Well, see, that's the thing. Daryl, in my opinion, is stealing the show right now. And uh, absolutely. If, if Daryl is more freaking interesting than Rick right now. And see, <laughs> that's one of my problems with the show. He should not be. Yeah. Rick has to be the most interesting person in that show, bar none. And unfortunately, he's not. Rick is still, in the second season, the weak, one of the weakest characters in the whole goddamn group. And that's wrong. They, they twisted him so far from what he was in the comic book. And that is what is one of my biggest frustrations with the show. So, But Daryl, Daryl is freaking awesome. Daryl has turned around and become something that is just fantastic fantastic to watch i mean just great all around so i'm, I'm really hoping that they they keep him around <laughs> don't piss off anybody on the show daryl <laughs> there's zombies you get eaten <laughs> they'll cut you out and I, I really thought they had killed him off too well christ they shot him in the head what more <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh you know he, he gets this big triumphant episode of him just being an absolute badass for 45 minutes and then gets shot in the head and i was like no you can't kill him but I, also we had uh, michael rooker 
the actor that plays Merle. <laughs> he was so great. Yeah. <laughs> he, that that was by far my favorite episode this season. Yeah. Yeah, there he he's a fantastic character. Sadly, there are again there's others that they are so underusing. The main one being T-Dog, which mm-hmm. I mean He's there just as basically the token black guy is all he is because he's not used. He was used a little when his arm got cut and then he needed, you know, the antibiotics and everything. And and that's exactly what they were saying, too, about the token black guy. Um, and and then after that, really, you're not seeing him for like episode upon episode. You see him for a few minutes and that's it. And and that's disappointing because, again, there's a character that they could have done so much more with and pfft, you're not doing anything right now. They're concentrating so heavily on Andrea, who's not freaking Andrea, and no. it's like ah, she, she she's actually starting to get on my nerves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. The whole the whole mutant power thing of she went from zero to freaking Hawkeye yep. <laughs> in the span of a, an afternoon. Um, I, I have to say though, my favorite scene this entire season was the freaking zombie in the well. <laughs> and see, for me, not so much. It was, I, I just it was so out there and just it, it, it's one of the few scenes we had with the whole cast to get together and actually interacting because for most of the season. OK, we had Rick and Shane. We had uh, Glenn and what's her name? <laughs> Maggie. Yeah, we had Daryl off in the woods. We didn't get very many scenes of the cast together interacting. Uh, we got we get that. And then at the end with the, the, the zombie barn. So just to see the characters playing off of each other in one of the few scenes they had together, it was funny. It was, you know, it had but its tension. It was it, just it had... too unbelievable, though, is the thing. <laughs> okay, you don't want to shoot him. He might contaminate yeah. the water. It's a zombie <laughs> in the well. Are you seriously going to drink that water even once he gets out? There's not enough bleach in the world to clean that well out. It's just not going to happen. So... But- and then to send somebody down, it's like, <laughs> no, nobody in their right mind or wrong mind would go into a well hanging from a freaking gourd to go wrap the cord around a zombie. It's not going to happen. And then, of I... course, you know, oh, something's going to happen. He's going to fall in. There's going to be big mass panic. It's going to be a tug of war to pull him out. And it's like, oh, it, it, I thought it was absolute stupidity myself. I don't know, because I, I felt Glenn was just dumb enough to go through with it. <laughs> no, no, I did not. Okay. But then, you know, the, the, the whole season pretty much culminates with, uh, as comic readers were expecting, the barn full of zombies. Uh, Herschel believes that they're not dead people. They're just sick. And, you know, he's a man of God. He refuses to kill another person. So he's just collecting them. And uh, that obviously doesn't end well shane loses his freaking mind and lets them all out and you get the big shootout scene and then the ending which we had to have seen coming by this point with with little sophia and that the fact that it was actually rick that pulled the trigger i think was a a pretty big turning point in the season i'm hoping and see that's why when i was watching it too because of what had happened with him and how he blamed himself for losing her and then blaming himself for Carl as well because Carl was with him. And I'm, I'd am i been really hoping that something similar kind of like this would be what happens. And I'm hoping what it means is that next season when it starts, he's going to be a lot harder edged. There's He's going to be harsher. He's going to be Rick. He's not going to be this freaking pansy ass from 
from uh, damn i'm gonna bleep that no i don't have to <laughs> they say words on tv <laughs> he's not gonna be that he's actually going to be the rick from the comic book someone who who has had to become far harder than what he was before for the sake of everybody in the group and i and i think that having to put a bullet in sophia's head is what would do it for him mm-hmm. so yeah not i would say so far not on par with uh, what we got in the first season but still really good tv and i think they're that- they're really pushing a lot harder to have those really st- stress-filled moments like that moment at the barn to make up for the loss of production monies that they could put towards the special effects. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, maybe next season we'll get a lot more of that and more movement, get them going other places <laughs> kind of thing. the farm. Um, yeah. And I think that I think that had this season been more traveling around, in addition to that stress... It would have been far more successful, even with a lower production cost, um, without all of the zombies. It's just that it got so bland and predictable on the farm for so long. Yeah, but eh, it was still good. So we're going to move away, and we do have an actual comic to talk about this week. Imagine that. And it came out a couple weeks ago, and everybody saw it coming. I flat out said, uh, after Fantastic Four 588, in a year... We're going to get Fantastic Four 600, and spoiler alert, Johnny ain't dead. <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> it pissed me off to no freaking end. <laughs> Just pissed me off. And Did you really, really think they were going to stick with this? Yes, because he walked away with Uncle Ben. He was, <laughs> you know, he was supposed to stay dead. <laughs> and it was like, oh, no, I was I oh, ticked off to no end. Ticked off. That being said... <laughs> It was still a good little story in there with him. (laughs) It was good, but it was like, I don't want to enjoy this. I'm pissed off at you people. I got to say, this comic is what, $7.99, $8.99? Yeah. A lot for a comic, but the thing was freaking 100 pages. So you got value for your dollar. And it wasn't 100 pages of side stories and filler and, you know, random stuff that we see in so many of these other big anniversary issues. This was 100 pages of actual story. Yeah, it was split up into five different smaller stories, but it all was still going somewhere. Everything had a point, And I, I really have to commend them on that. I still think it was a little, little high price. Well, more than just a little high price, but I'm not going to say it was good value for its dollar because, again, I think Com- it was a little Compare high. it to something like... Uh, but it, it was Detec- good. I'm not saying it wasn't good. Yeah. It was good, I st- but I still think that it was a little high price. Detective Comics uh, 700, I think it was. Uh, Action Comics 700. They had those big anniversary issues that were huge as well that had that higher price point. And half of it was arts galleries and you know stuff that didn't add anything to the actual story so i have to at least appreciate we got oh, a full issue of story and though i didn't think that every single short story here was phenomenal uh, oh. the ones that were good like the one with johnny holy crap in hell that was freaking fantastic yeah uh, well first of all we started off with uh the fantastic four and, well the ff still uh, and the avengers fighting off you know this big kree invasion all this huge stuff going on that you know reed always seems to find himself in the middle of war of races uh, the kree want to wipe out the inhumans the inhumans happen to be on earth so everybody is screwed and at the same time Annihilus finds this to be his perfect opportunity to uh, break through the barrier in the baxter building and just 
take over everything. So we get that cool scene with Pete showing up to, you know, find out what's going on. And when the door opens, I wish he didn't have his mask on. I wish we could have seen a facial expression yeah. of when he's on Johnny on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, that's one of the parts too. I thought they really downplayed it, which was a little disappointing. I know the, the, the shot that they were going for the, the full panel uh, of Johnny with uh, showing Spider-Man's back, but the page right before that, where he, you see Spider-Man and he's looking, Mm-hmm. I, they they kind of downplayed it. It was like, oh, it, 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 it should have been Ben or somebody who could have had a more visual impact on that scene. Yeah. But then we get the second story, which is Johnny Storm, Gladiator King of the Negative Zone. And it was just <laughs> wall to wall awesomeness. I mean, Johnny is just he's Johnny and he's going in style through everything, even when he's being knit back together by worms. <laughs> you know, he's. <laughs> Uh, he the, that part really really made this anniversary issue. If you're gonna bring him back, bring him back in an awesome way. <laughs> I and again, I I am justifiably pissed off that they didn't keep him dead. I am. I'm not gonna take that away. It's, but I mean, it's comic books. You have to expect that. But that said, this was so well done. It's such a fantastic story. Plus. It doesn't feel like something that they just cooked off the top of their heads. Mm-hmm. You get the impression that Jonathan Pigman had been planning this from the get-go. Basically just watching yeah. us on Twitter, all talking about <laughs> Storm <laughs> being dead, and then giggling. <laughs> you guys are in for a treat in a few months. Well, two years ago when Hickman started his uh, run on Fantastic Four, he said he had a three-year plan. The first year was everything leading up to Johnny's death. The second year was the FF era. And now we have the third year with Fantastic Four and the FF leading to this big climactic you know, conclusion or whatever that's probably going to involve Annihilus, almost definitely going to involve Galactus because there's all kinds of stuff going on there. You got the Inhumans, uh, which was another one of the stories. You had another side story focusing on the Inhumans, uh, kind of making a little bit of sense out of that, not really into what's going on there. Uh, of course, Galactus, y- you can't go wrong with Galactus and how he's basically at this point become an actual protector of Earth. I like that little twist with his character. But it's all leading up to something. And this next year of Fantastic Four and FF Comics is probably going to be really entertaining. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then I, I, I also liked the the last little story there with Franklin. Uh, where, you know, he, he's been practicing his powers and secrets, you know, he got them back. Nobody else knows. I, I just liked the, the, the whimsicalness of it. And Franklin is such a fun little character. I, I like that he has all this power and yeah. Okay. He's Reed's son, but he's still an innocent and fun loving child. I like that about the character. I'm not crazy about the kids stories. I, I rarely am. Any of the times when there are a lot of the, the kid characters in the FF stories, I'm just not into it. I find it very hard to get into it. Same as, like, I mean, this continues on into FF12, which I picked up in red as well, because that's basically, they, they teleported the top three levels, two or three levels, I think three levels. Three, I think, yeah. Yeah, of, of the Baxter building out into, like, Latvia, <laughs> going to see Doom, and... And so the majority of the story is with the kids because they all teleported out there. And I just, again, I'm just, I have a hard time getting engaged with the story when it's the kids. I I just don't like it as much. And the whole group of kids, I can buy that. But Franklin himself, he, you know, he, he is the scariest person in the Marvel Universe. At one point back in the 90s, um, 
he created his own universe and teleported all the heroes there. And they lived there for – I forget how long it was, like a year or two. That was the whole Heroes Reborn thing back in the 90s, which was awful. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but the fact that this little kid had that sort of power that's been locked away and now he's regaining it, that as a, a reader, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Well, it didn't work well last time. What makes you think it will this time? Better writers. All right. <laughs> the I'll the name Rob Liefeld isn't anywhere attached to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, aside from that, uh, we've been reading a few other things. Myself, Thunderbolts. I know you don't like it, just like Journey into Mystery last week. It's been so cool these last few issues. Um, we had the reserve team of Thunderbolts that they introduced a while back. Characters that have no interest in redemption. They're just kind of being forced into it. And they split away. They managed to escape uh, along with one of the so-called you know, leaders of the Thunderbolts. You know, he kind of went AWOL. And they screwed up and they've been traveling through time. We had a couple issues where they ended up in 1940s and had to fight alongside Captain America in order to preserve the timeline. So you get these villains that are pretending to be, you know, these World War II era heroes, complete with costume redesigns. It was a lot of fun. And then the latest issue, they end up in uh, England. A uh, hundred some years ago during the time of Jack the Ripper. And actually one of the supervillains from the Thunderbolts was Jack the Ripper. And <sighs> just the way they're doing the story is fun. The You could tell the artist is having so much fun redesigning all the characters for these time periods. I mean, the Fixer, he's you know, this uh, you know tech guy. He always wears the, you know, the weird goggles and stuff. He has a freaking laser monocle. <laughs> you know, just cool stuff, great character designs. I'm really, really enjoying it. It's one of my favorite comics every month. And then uh, last week, Dynamite released uh, – I'm really liking this trend of $1 ish first issues. Yeah. They released their new Flash Gordon Zeitgeist comic, and it's a complete retelling and reimagining uh, of the Flash Gordon story. And I didn't watch the old movie serials. I didn't read the old comic strips. Everything I know about Flash Gordon comes from the 80s cartoon series and the awesome movie. <laughs> so this was cool seeing a reimagining of it, uh, setting it back to like a pre-World War I era. And you get this modern artwork with that crazy retro sci-fi style of, you know, this is what they thought the future would look like back in the 20s. So you get, you know, the weird rockets and all that crazy design and all the character designs and art design in the series is done by Alex Ross, who we both agree yeah. is amazing. Yes. He doesn't do the actual art, but all the designs are his. And you can see that touch in there with just absolute craziness. And uh, it was a dollar. I can't not check it out. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I don't think it's something I'll be buying monthly, but a great collected edition. Uh, I found it really enjoyable. Cool. Actually, I'll have to check that out then. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got anything for us this week? Oh, hell yes. I actually, before we get into the comics, though, again, we, we've, I, I don't know if we've mentioned it on this podcast, but we definitely have mentioned it, obviously, on For the Lore. Um, I finished finally the Star Wars, the Old Republic Revan novel. Mm -hmm. I finished it last night, and it was phenomenal. So if anybody's interested in hearing what I think about it too, I'm actually going to be writing or uh, recording a feature on it, a review for it on our next episode of For the Lore and that's going to be episode number 92. So if you're interested, you can download that and listen to it. I adored it. 
just absolutely loved it. And uh, so as soon as I was done that, then I kind of got caught up <laughs> on a couple of comic books <laughs> that I hadn't read. So just last night, I got caught up on the uh, the X-Men number two and Wolverine number two. I got to tell you, honestly, wasn't that crazy about either one of them? Wolverine number two, because it's those freaking kids again from the Hellfire Club for the majority of the time. I mean, it was fantastic yeah. seeing Bobby... Oh, get yeah. to his potential, oh, which is what we so saw in Uncanny X-Force mm-hmm. with the Bobby from the other universe, the parallel universe. So here you're seeing the same kind of thing and it and it fit. It was fun to watch. And it's like I, when Wolverine tells him you're going to have to step up, it's like, yeah, you know, you needed to hear that, buddy. <laughs> okay. And uh, and so that was great. But then the whole stuff with the Hellfire Club is like, oh, yeah, come on. The kids need to go. They seriously do. Because otherwise it would have been a fun episode or fun issue to read and again same kick-ass art love the art in there i just absolutely loved it but i'm hoping that story is going to be done soon so that they can get busy with some other stuff um uncanny x-men number two eh, really didn't dig it did not dig it at all and then x-men legacy the last one i believe it was 259 mm-hmm. it was yeah. like Again, this is the stuff that we had in the other comic books leading up to the split between the two characters. It's just that because they were gone somewhere else, they're kind of trailing behind those characters. Yeah, the publishing's kind of having yeah, to catch up for the storyline. And it's not bad though. It does it fits too that, you know, not everybody necessarily would have been able to make those choices of where they're going at the same time. So okay, I can buy it. I don't have a problem with it. It's just that I wasn't enjoying it then, and I'm still not enjoying it now. So I really I wasn't crazy about it, which is too bad because I'd really been digging Legacy up until then. And then on the DC side, Flash number three. Oh, dude. What did I tell you about that comic, man? Man, Flash is right. I'm at the point now where my top three are Batman, of course, Justice League, and then Flash. Those three are uh, for with the new DC stuff. The, the, the only ones, in my opinion, right now that are actually definitely worth picking up and reading. The other ones, some of them are good, but those are like, wow. And the, the Flash number three was just fantastic. Um, and then lastly, I read uh, Teen Titans number three. So much like the Justice League, it's been about getting all the characters ready. And they finally have all the characters. So now we're going to be seeing more stories with the entirety of the crew there. And actually, it wasn't bad. It wasn't phenomenal. But it actually wasn't bad. I, I I enjoyed it. So so those are the ones that I got caught up on. Yeah, Teen Titans better than expected. <laughs> so that's probably the best I can say about it. We, and it basically, what I said, uh, what I'm saying as well. Again, it's it, it the 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 three issues have not been bad, not phenomenal, but not bad. I'm just hoping that the story arc that's going to be that's kind of beginning now is going to be strong enough to carry it for a little while. And that once we get all the characters together, it will be something that's good. The potential is there, though, for it to fail. Most definitely the potential is there for that. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving on to this week's new releases. On the Marvel side, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 675, as well as Avenging Spider-Man number two. That really, really looking forward to that one. We have Defenders number one, uh, bringing back the uh, classic team, I don't know. Uh, Hulk number 45, Punisher number six, Venom number 10. Really looking to see where they're going after the last issue. X-Factor 228, X-Men number 221, and volume six of Criminal, The Last of the Innocent. One of my favorite comics of the year. Check that one out. 
On DC, we have Action Comics, well, issue fours for Action Comics, Animal Man, Men of War, Red Lanterns, and Swamp Thing, as well as the third issue for the Huntress miniseries, which is still pretty interesting. And then rounding out the list, we have Irredeemable 32 from Boom, Voltron number one from Dynamite, another dollar first issue, can't go wrong, and Image... Chew number 22. I was so. going to say, I was waiting for it. Is he going to see a chew? You better say chew. But. Sa- sa- saving the best for last. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because that is still consistently fantastic. Yes. And before we get to the wrap up, uh, let's get to the festivities here, Roger. Well, saving the best for last, we actually have our winner. We had uh, most, if not damn near all, but one actually of the entries came in through the uh, email. We got a lot of people enjoying X-Force, obviously, like we have. And that seems to be an insanely popular title right now which there was a fantastic article that you put me on to as well on io9 which was uh an interview with uh with them talking about uh what was going on with the the story arc because it's ending so soon and and yeah it is probably one of the biggest coolest story arcs of the year without a doubt but so random dice roll kind of actually did not give it to any of those people that like the good comic books but to Sean, who actually oh, liked Superboy. Superboy. <laughs> yes. And seeing as I'm fair, no re-rolls, <laughs> Sean, you got yourself a hardcover signed copy of Marvel Universe versus Wolverine. So I'm going to get you to email contest at comicbookinformer.com, and then I'll send that information out to Mr. Mayberry, and you will get yourself a personalized copy. That is very awesome. Congratulations, Sean. And and I am very jealous, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) You make sure you send Mayberry the correct address. Yeah. I think he lives in Canada, doesn't he, Sean? You live in Canada somewhere. Still uh, great, great stuff. And big props to uh, Jonathan Mayberry for putting that together for us. That's big, big thanks to him. Yeah. All right, so that's going to wrap us up here on issue 56. Uh, Be sure to check us out, comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer, and we will see everybody next week. Dude, I am starving. Holy crap in hell. (laughs) I I thought for sure you could hear my stomach through the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see the uh, Star Wars announcement that just came across? Which one? Uh, they're opening early access two days earlier than before. So it's actually seven days earlier? Mm-hmm. Whoa! Starting on the 13th. <laughs> what? Starting on the 13th. <laughs> awesome. So They better because my, both my copies are coming from the States. So... One of them is actually going first to Joe and then to me. <laughs> oh, you're screwed. So, yeah, I know. But I had to because... And it's a it, collector's edition. Yeah. It's going to take about four months to get there. I hope the grace period is long enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost tempted to tell Joe, before you send it to me, open it up. Yeah. Give me the serial number. Send it to me. Just don't steal any of the shit inside. <laughs> it's so strange. It came without the statue. Yeah, really? I can see that happening. <laughs>